So hey, I don't get up front a lot, so if you don't know y me yet, that is totally okay. My name is Meredith. <laughs> anyway, um, it's my third year on staff, which is absolutely crazy to me. It seems like just the other day I got here, um, but I guess time goes fast. Uh, anyway, a little bit about me. I grew up in Vancouver, Washington, with my mom and my dad and my younger sister. Uh, my mom and my dad are still there, but my sister's now in Tampa, Florida, going to school. In 2010, I graduated from college, so I'm old, sorry. <laughs> um, and I came to Central to major in recreation and tourism. Yeah, any other recreation and tourism people? Yeah, one! <laughs> yeah, so I loved my major. It was awesome. Uh, we legitimately got to do things like climbing rock walls. Right? Yeah? Challenge courses? Yeah. <laughs> and going on hikes. And so it was a super fun major. We actually learned some stuff too, but like we did really fun things. So if you want a fun major, do recreation and tourism. Um, so yeah, anyway, after graduating college, I moved to Virginia for a year and did the Calpha internship there and loved that, but I really missed Central. And so I came back here to work on staff. And like I said, now I've been here three years. Um, like Brandon said last week, I got to meet him, and we are engaged now and getting married this summer. So, yeah, so that's pretty exciting. Um, but yeah, that's just a little bit about who I am. It's always good to know who's speaking to you. Anyway, can I tell you guys a story tonight? Awesome. So I want you all to travel back with me in time to my sophomore year of college. So most of you who know me now probably, probably think of me as like at least kind of an outgoing person, um, maybe a little bit more extroverted than introverted. Well, if you had known me back as a sophomore in college, you would have known a very, very different person. Um, I was extremely shy and really, really awkward. I was by no means bold at all in sharing my faith. In fact, if I like ever spoke in front of a group larger than like five people, I would like physically start shaking. So it's a miracle that I'm up here now. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Um, and yeah, like the idea of ever leading a core or really leading anything scared me half to death. So that's who I was as a sophomore. Uh, that same year, Chi Alpha was planning a mission trip to Haiti. Now, Haiti's actually an absolutely amazing, beautiful place with wonderful, very, very kind people. But in my mind at the time, I thought it was probably the most terrifying place in the entire world. Um, I didn't know a lot about it, but I did know that it didn't have like a great, like a great police force. I knew it was like a little bit more corrupted. I knew that their medical system wasn't awesome. I knew they didn't have modern conveniences. And in my brain, I thought if I went to Haiti, I would probably go there, get bit by a mosquito, get malaria, and just die. <laughs> I, I am a person who tends to jump to the worst possible conclusion. Anyone else there like that? Oh, good. I'm not alone. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, yeah, that was like a ridiculous thought, but like legitimately that is what I thought. And it's at that moment that God started nudging me, telling me he wanted me to go. Now, I'm pretty stubborn, and so I put up quite the fight against the Lord. Um, and the more I fought, the stronger and stronger that feeling got that I needed to go to Haiti. It was really annoying. 
So finally one night, I decided I needed to talk to someone about this. Well, this is probably about 10 o'clock uh, p.m. on like a Tuesday night, and I decided to drive over to Melissa Wynn's house. If you don't know Melissa, she's uh, Tony's wife, and she's awesome. So I drive over there, and I'm like in tears, right? You guys, like, I'm like crying. I'm like, I don't need to go to Haiti, but I'm going to die there. <laughs> and so <laughs> I show up at Melissa's, and uh, poor Melissa, she was probably so tired and like exhausted from her full day of work. But she like welcomed me in and let me sit there for like three hours. So like yes till one in the morning. Um, she reminded me of that when I told her I was telling this story. <laughs> I sat there for three hours and told her like all my fears and like all my worries about going to Haiti. And she would have had every right to be like, Meredith, you're fine. You're not going to die. Just go. Obey God. But she didn't do that. She sat there and she listened and she prayed for me. And at the end of that conversation, I agreed to go. So here is a picture from that trip. Yep. Take a minute. Take it all in. <laughs> yes, those are cornrows. Yeah. Um, in our defense, it was like 90 degrees and 90% humidity there that day. Um, and so, you know, and we couldn't shower like all week. So that, that's why we look so good in this picture. Um, but you guys, like this trip changed my entire life. Um, okay, I can tell we're still taking in the picture. <laughs> okay, br bring it back, bring it back. Um, this trip changed my entire life. Um, I learned to trust the Lord more than I ever had before, and um, I just grew in my faith so much because of that trip. And you guys, I am, like, so grateful to have a friend like Melissa who was so invested in seeing my relationship with the Lord grow that she was willing to listen to my ridiculous worries even at one in the morning on a work night. And seriously, I could tell you countless stories over the years of like how she has like loved me and guided me closer to the Lord. Um, basically, my pattern in life is every time there's a major decision, I like have this freak out moment, and then I go talk to Melissa, and she's like, it's okay, Jesus still loves you, do this. And then I do it, and I grow closer to God. <laughs> Yeah, and so she has just loved me so well in that. Do you guys have someone like that in your life? Someone who has loved you well and has fought for you to grow in your faith? I bet if we think about it, most of us do. Aren't you grateful for them? So there's a lot of words that we could use to describe these people in our life. We could call them spiritual friends. We could call them mentors. We could call them advisors. We could just say, like, hey, they're my go-to person for advice. There's a lot of names for them, but the one I want to focus on tonight is I want to call them disciplers. Remember how last week Brandon talked about how we needed to share the gospel? He also mentioned that when we share the gospel, we can't just share it in ditch, right? Like we can't be like, hey, here's the Bible. Jesus is cool. Hope you figure out how to follow him. Okay, great. You're a Christian now. Okay, here's the Bible. It's like a thousand pages, but you know where to start, right? Okay, see you. Bye. Like, that's not how we're called to share our faith. God wants us to invest in their lives and to walk with them to get to know God better. And that is called discipleship. That's what Melissa did for me. Okay, so tonight we're going to be putting ourselves in Paul's shoes to look at how he helped the Thessalonians become disciples of Jesus. 
So with that, grab your Bibles, and we're going to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17, and we're going to read through chapter 3, verse 5. And I'm actually going to have Isaac stand up and read that for us. Awesome. Thanks so much for reading, Isaac. So we're going to jump into talking about how this passage relates to making disciples in just a minute. But first I want to mention something. Um, I think that often we think that making disciples is something that only pastors do. Or at least like church staff people, right? Well, I think um, that if we actually look at the Bible and actually from what I've seen, God actually uses like us in the lives of our friends. And like that is how we make disciples. But that's not like, you know, growing up, that's not what I thought. Growing up and going to church, I thought that if I could just get my friends to church, then they would like walk in, they would hear the sermon, they would listen to the worship, and something would just like magically click in their brain, right? And they would just like start following the Lord. Um, And that was just like, I don't know why I thought that, but that's just what I thought. Um, But if we actually look at the word, like we see that God wants to use us in the lives of our friends to make disciples. He wants to like use you and me. Sorry, I'm having a hard time turning my page. (laughs) Hold, please. Um, If you guys look at Ephesians 4, 11 to 13, it says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up, until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So here, it says that it's the pastor's job, or the Kyopa staff person's job, to equip the saints for ministry. That means it's not the pastor's job to make make disciples, it's our job. The pastor's job is to equip. Each of us is responsible for helping our friends grow in their relationship with the Lord. And that's pretty cool, right? Like, God entrusts us with our friends' eternities. So maybe tonight, like, this is news to you. Maybe you didn't know we were the disciple makers. Congrats. Welcome to the team. Or maybe you're thinking, wow, I am just getting to know Jesus myself. How in the world am I going to help someone else get to know him? Well, tonight, I want you to be encouraged. Discipleship is not about having more knowledge about the Bible than someone, and it's not about being better at following Jesus than someone. It's about learning to follow him together. Proverbs 27, 17 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And that is what discipleship is about. It's two people intentionally sharpening each other. Okay, so we're going to jump into this passage tonight, and we're going to go over three principles that I hope is going to help all of us make disciples um, wherever we are in that process. Sound good? Awesome. So principle number one is that we're called to love those we disciple. We're called to love those we disciple. As I read this passage, or as I read this passage, I am struck right away with just how much Paul loves these people. So why do I say that? Um, Look at verse 17 and 18 with me for just a minute. So verse 17 and 18 says, But brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned by being separated from you, for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. 
for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. So he says, Paul's saying that he is longing to go to them, that he feels orphaned. And that's not just something you say to anyone, right? Um, so like, here's a scenario. Say you go out on a date. Um, you're going on this date, you like meet this guy, and you're like, oh, he's like pretty nice, you have coffee for an hour, you're like, okay, sweet, nice to meet you, shake his hand, okay, see you later. And then you drive home, and you're like in the car ride, and you're like, oh, wow, I like really miss him. And you call him up, and you're like, hey, man, I just feel like really orphaned from you right now. <laughs> I like miss you so much, and like, I'm just like, I just feel so orphaned from you. That would never happen, right? Like, that's so weird and awkward. So these are things that Paul is saying that you say to people who, re- he, like, you really, really care about. He really has, like, a real relationship with these people. And so I want to take a minute and point out the word orphaned here. Um, when I first read that, it seemed, like, a little bit weird to me. Because after all, like, Paul... Uh, Paul is, has been, like, mentoring the Thessalonians, right? And so it would have made more sense to me if he had said, like, that they had been orphaned from him. Um, but actually I found out in Hebrew that this word can be used inter- interchangeably for either adults or children. Um, so, for example, if a child died, you could say that the parent had been orphaned from the child. Does that make sense? So anyway, the point Paul is making is that he's suffering extreme sadness by being separated from his friends. He's even likening the sadness to that of a parent who has lost a child. Now, I um, obviously don't have children, and I can't like even begin to comprehend like the pain that it would um, that you would feel if you lost a child. Um, but I have had to say goodbye to people before, like when I've moved away um, and things like that. In college, uh, I had a really close knit group of like five friends, and we just did like so much stuff together, and it was so much fun. Um, I don't know, we were just, like, ridiculous. Like, we'd walk around campus at night and, like, climb buildings. Don't do that. But that's what we did. (laughs) Um, Or, uh, I don't know, we just did a lot of fun stuff. And, like, one of them was my roommate. Her name was Emily. And uh, we would, we spent so much time just, like, laughing together and crying together and supporting each other in prayer. And I loved these friends so, so much. And my senior year, I remember it dawning on me, that we were going to graduate, and we were going to go separate ways. Um, you know, I was going to move to Virginia. Emily was going to move back up to Linden, where she was from. Uh, my friend Paige was going to go to Seattle. And so we were just going to all split up and go different ways. And so the day of graduation finally came. We've been, like, best friends for, like, four years now. And we decided it would be a great idea to go to Utopia after we walked that day. So... We walked in graduation, we all go to Utopia, and it took about one minute for us to realize that that was a horrible idea, because we're all just sitting there, like, realizing, like, this is it. This is, like, we're never going to be together um, every day from, like, for, like, the rest of our lives. And, like, we're sitting at Utopia, and it's supposed to be, like, this happy celebration, and, like, tears are, like, welling in our eyes. Um, so I think we sat there for, like, 15 minutes, and then just said goodbye, and, like, went home. Um, And I remember I cried for, like, two hours on the way home, you guys. Like, I was so sad to be leaving them. I want you to think for a minute about the last time you had to say goodbye to somebody. Maybe it was a friend or your parents when you left for college. How did that make you feel? Doesn't it show you how much you love someone when you have to say goodbye to them? 
I think that's a little bit of what Paul was going through. I think it shows us that he really, truly loved the Thessalonians a great deal. And I think it's fair to assume that he didn't just love them out of obligation or like because he had to or because he thought it was the right thing to do. His love for them was a love that for people that you truly care for and who are truly your friends. So this is how Paul loved the people he was discipling. How are we doing at loving the people we are discipling? Is it a genuine love? Can we laugh with them and cry with them? Do we share our lives together? Or do we just show up to a one-on-one or core and then leave? How are you doing at loving the people you are discipling? The second principle we, uh, is that we need to be actively helping our friends grow in their faith. In this passage, we see that Paul not only loves the Thessalonians, but he is also deeply concerned for their faith. So I'm going to have you guys um, look at uh, 2.19 to 3.3 with me again. Um, one sec while I turn there. So look at uh, 2.19 to 3.3. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of the Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. For you know quite well that we are destined for them. Um, sorry, one sec. So from these verses, uh, we can see a couple of different things. First, we can see that Paul is future-focused. So what do I mean by that? I mean that Paul's love for the Thess- Thessalonians is not short-sighted at all. In fact, he's really focused on how their present relationship with Jesus is going to be affecting their eternity. If you look at uh, verses 19 and 20, At first glance, it kind of sounds like Paul is boasting here, right? Like when I read that, I was like, what is he talking about with this like crown thing? Uh, It's like, is he bragging about his work before God? However, if we look a little bit closer, um, we can see that he's actually saying something very different. So when we as Americans typically think of a crown, um, we usually think of a symbol of authority, right? Um, For me personally, like I think of like the Queen of England or somebody like that with a lot of power. However, in their culture, they thought of a really different kind of crown. Um, They would have thought of a crown that an athlete would have won after some kind of sporting event. Um, So, like, if you think of the Olympics or, like, sprinting races, um, the winner would receive a laurel wreath crown. And so that's what Paul would have been talking about. So here, he is actually saying that the greatest reward he can imagine And the thing that would be his joy would be being in the presence of the Lord with the Thessalonians. Paul can't bear that these friends whom he loves so much would not be with God for eternity. In fact, he is so concerned with that that he sends Timothy to go and strengthen and encourage them. Now think about that for just a second. Remember like how we've learned um, from Taylor and Brandon, like they, that um, uh, Paul and Timothy, or Paul, and Silas had just gotten kicked out of Thessalonica. Um, and, like, 
it wasn't like a nice little like, okay, bye now, see you later. It was like they were like beaten naked in the streets and then like chased for miles out of the city. Um, so it was not a place that you just want to go back to. I don't know about you, but if I was Paul, I'd be like, hey, I'm doing pretty good at this letter writing thing. I'm just going to keep doing that. Encourage, here's your letter. <laughs> I don't know if I'd want to go back, right? Um, and also, Timothy is described as one of Paul's closest friends, or even someone who is like a son to him. And so even though Paul couldn't personally go back, he was sending someone who was very, very dear to him. Paul is taking very specific action in his care for the Thessalonians' faith. He's willing to take great risks to support and encourage them. So how are you helping your friends grow in their faith? Are you willing to take risks for them? Are you willing to actively ask them what they think about God or how they're doing in their relationship with him? For me, I think it's really easy to keep things kind of shallow in my friendships, even my friendships with friends who are like already believers. I think it's a lot easier for me uh, to talk about like the TV shows we're watching or uh, what books we're reading than it is for me to ask them like how they're growing in their relationship with God. I think it's a lot easier for me um, when I get a sense that maybe they're involved in something that could hurt their relationship with the Lord. It's easier for me to like ignore that than to confront them on it. It's a lot easier for me when they come to me and tell me they just got a new boyfriend um, to just want to be like, oh my gosh, yay, I hope you get married. Yay, it's so exciting. Like, it's easier for me to do that than it is to ask the hard question of, is he a believer? Is he really a good guy? But that is not what Paul did. He was willing to take risks and to endure relational discomfort to ensure that he would see his friends in heaven. So are we going to settle for an easy friendship, or are we going to actively help our friends grow in their faith by being more concerned for their eternity than for our comfort? The third and final um, discipleship principle I want to go over tonight is that we need to be walking through trials together. Uh, turn back to verses 3 and 5, and we're going to read that. So that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and that our labors might have been in vain." So from these verses, we see that Paul is truthful with his friends about trials, persecution, and spiritual attack. He loves the Thessalonians enough to be real with them. So you guys know how we all have those friends who you can go to for an honest opinion, right? So like, maybe I buy a new hat, and I'm like, uh, I kind of like this hat, but I just don't know if it looks good on me. And I go, and I talk to Kayla, and Kayla's like, ugh, Meredith, the hat is just so cute. Just keep the hat. Yeah, well, I need an example. <laughs> and then I go and I talk to Maggie. And Maggie's like, Meredith, that hat looks horrible on you. You just need to take the hat back. And I'm like, wow, thank you, Maggie, for telling me the truth. And then I take it back, and it's great. Well, Paul, Paul is like Maggie. 
He wasn't going to beat around the bush with his friends. He was going to be real. And one thing that that included is that he was going to be honest with them that trials will come in this life. Um, and spiritual attack will come. And the same is true for us today. In 1 Peter 5.8, it says that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. In James, it says that we should not be surprised when trials of many kinds come. So like Brandon said last week, life doesn't get easier when we become a Christian. It doesn't get easier if we've been following Jesus for 20 years. Like trials will still come. Paul made that very clear to the Thessalonians so that they'd be better prepared and that when the trials did come, their faith was not shaken. And so are we being honest with our friends that they should expect trials to come? Do we prepare them well for Satan's attack? And are we open about them with trials in our own lives? If you look back at verse 19, Paul says that Satan had tried to stop stop him from coming and um, succeeded. He was open with the Thessalonians that his own personal life was not, like, totally put together. Um, I remember my freshman and sophomore year, and really, if I'm being honest even now, sometimes it's hard for me to ask for prayer uh, because I don't want to be vulnerable with people. I want people to think that, like, I'm all put together and, you know, I'm perfectly following the Lord all the time. And that's, like, ridiculous, and it's such a wrong attitude. In order to disciple people, we have to be open about the trials in our own lives as well. We have to let them in so we can help each other grow. It goes back to that iron sharpening iron principle. It's not a one-sided thing. So how are you doing at being real with others? How are we doing at walking through trials together? So in conclusion, for me and probably for all of us, We would not have the relationship with God that we have today except for the people in our lives who are willing to disciple us, for the people in our lives who are willing to love us and fight for our faith and walk through trials with us. So tonight, I want to ask you three questions to close. Question number one, how are you doing at loving those you disciple? I want to challenge you guys to start living life with the people you disciple I want you to go out of your way to make them your actual friends who you actually love, um, and not just like your classmate or maybe the person you see once a week at core. Question number two, whose faith are you invested in? If the answer is no one, go find somebody. It's as simple as that. It doesn't have to be weird or awkward. Just go talk to someone and say, hey, I am learning about Jesus. I'm studying the Bible. Do you want to do it with me? And then see if they want to meet once a week to go over the Bible with you and talk about your relationships with the Lord. And then the last question is, how are you doing at walking through trial with people? Are you willing to sacrificially support them? And are you open about what is going on in your own life too? I'm going to go ahead and ask the worship team to come on up and I'm going to pray to close. Lord Jesus, um, God, I just want to thank you so, so much that you entrust our friends' lives to us. God, thank you that you see us as worthy to make disciples. Um, and Lord, I just also want to thank you that like you don't leave us um, to do this on our own, God, but you equip us so, so well to do this. And 
um, that you give us your word and that you will be with us as we do this. And so, Lord Jesus, today I just want to pray. Um, yeah, I just want I just want to pray that like you would pe- put people in our lives who we can help get to know you better, God. That we'd be able to be open with them about our own lives, um, and that you would just use us powerfully to work in the lives of our friends. In your name, we pray. Amen.